this starts. Hello and welcome to Play This, a podcast where two old friends recommend video games to each other and have in-depth discussions about them. This time, the old friends are different than the old friends you're used to. I'm Daniel. And I'm Sean, a slightly younger old friend than <laughs> your usual co-host Max. For those of you just tuning in, if you guys missed the previous episode, Max is on paternal leave. Yes. Uh, Ezra Lando was born August. He's a handsome little fella. He is. He is a cutie. Very small and does not do a whole lot yet. <laughs> Because he's a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, the time frame in which I saw him, very briefly, he didn't cry at all. He was... He was just a, a a stoic little stud. That's good. Yeah. No, he's great. I can't wait to spend more time with him. But this is not the Talk About Babies Max podcast. But you know, if it was, that'd be fine too. I just called it the Babies Max podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we talk about video games. And we've uh, we've been on our own hiatus for a little bit. We've had some events since our last episode, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. We had gamescom we had a couple of like indie nintendo directs yeah there's there's stuff to there's some stuff to talk about yeah so finally you can have an episode of this show where you know someone doesn't say like well there wasn't that much news <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was, there was news but by virtue of a, a, you know us not recording for like a month yeah there's actually like so much that i'm i'm cherry picking a few things and oh. we're not going into everything that's happened in the past month or so all right so first at gamescom a uh, bit of news that is of increasing relevance to this podcast. I feel like we end up talking about this franchise more and more. We had the official reveal of Life is Strange 2. Yeah. Um, you know, there were a lot of teases, and uh, they even like released a demo that sort of hinted at what the next game would be about mm -hmm. uh, in the form of The Adventures of Captain Spirit, which I played with my girlfriend. That's a cute little number. Yeah. And actually... In the last episode, I shot out a random guess, right, based on my time with Captain Spirit, and I said that Life is Strange 2 would probably be about one of two things. It would either be a cop drama, <laughs> or it would be about uh, kids with superpowers. And it looks like it has elements of both. Which is cool. Yeah, so Life is Strange 2 is sort of a like a road movie style story about a 16-year-old boy named Sean Diaz and his little 9-year-old brother Daniel Diaz. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that is interesting. Cuz you know, we're on play this and you're Daniel and I'm Sean. <laughs> That's really <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. And it's even spelled the same. Yeah, like, they they did the Irish Sean. Yeah, uh -huh. S E A N, yeah. And um, yeah, they didn't spell your name Daniel or anything like that. Just yeah, Daniel. true. Yeah, so we, Sean and Daniel, get to talk about Sean and Daniel in this new video game. Um, basically, the the basic story that they revealed is they're on the they're on the run after a supernatural incident that leaves a cop dead. Right. Uh, one of the teases was sort of like like a cop getting like pushed by something. Like right. it looks like he was almost getting pushed like telekinetically, you know, and like the car getting knocked over. It really reminded me of Chronicle. Do you remember Chronicle? Oh yeah, Chronicle. Uh -huh. Mm-hmm. Lots of pushing people around with psychic powers and flying and stuff happening in that game too. Yeah, I was always interested in that movie. 
Never got around to watching it. No, me neither. I saw the trailer and I thought, ooh, that's cool. I'm totally going to see it. And I didn't see it. Yeah, that's my exact situation <laughs> also. Uh, basically, Sean and Daniel are on the run. Uh, they're tr- they're traveling from Seattle to their hometown of Puerto Lobos, Mexico. Boy, that's that's a long road trip. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think they're like on foot in the trailer. So that's, yeah. that's oh. Yeah, that'll definitely fill at least five episodes. Yeah. Like, in terms of geography, it's certainly broader in scope than Life is Strange 1. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, like, a lot of people are kind of upset for two reasons already. One is that, like, Life is Strange 2 has a male playable character instead Mm -hmm. of a female protagonist. And, you know, I I get the sentiment that Mm -hmm. enough video games out there have male protagonists. It was really refreshing when Life is Strange had a female lead. Sure. I do appreciate that the... This is a game that has Hispanic protagonists, yeah. which I can't I can't really name another one of those off the top of my head right now. That's a good point. Protagonists, no. Yeah. You know, certainly lots of Hispanic characters in games. I, I imagine you're probably thinking of that one, like, 12-year-old boy in the Metal Gear series with that really <laughs> awful accent. Chico! <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, clearly there's room for improvement in the representation angle for... That is fair to yeah. say. Uh, so I think that's nice, at least. I get the the want, the desire for more female protagonists, but I, uh, but I trust Don't Nod to tell, still tell an interesting story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also this being Don't Nod, there will probably be, you know, cool and well-represented female characters in Life is Strange oh. 2, generally. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think it's safe to, like, expect that. The other thing that people are kind of upset about is that the previous Life is Strange games sort of take place in one, like, very, like, uh, very, like, closed setting, you know? Like, Blackwell Academy and the mm-hmm. area that surrounded it, which allowed this episodic game to have, like, kind of a very tight-knit cast sure. that you got to see in every episode. Life is Strange 2 sort of road movie uh deal mm-hmm. it means that we'll pr- there's probably a lot of characters that we might not have enough time to get attached to because mm-hmm. we'll only we'll only kind of be like passing through like and maybe learning some of these stories for these specific characters like in an episode or less you that's know? a good point um so i kind of i kind of get that concern but uh but i don't know i i really like don't not in their storytelling have gained enough faith in my eyes that I'm I'm really willing to see where they go with this and and if they can get me engaged in any semblance of a recurring cast in this. Sure, no, I'm, you know, I'm definitely in your camp. Uh the primary themes of Life is Strange 2 are education and brotherhood according mm-hmm. to developers and the main one of the main like mechanics they're sort of like teasing and talking about a lot is that uh decisions you make as the older brother Sean determine what kind of kid Daniel ends up being over the course of the game, ah. right? He sort of, like, learns from example. Like brothers do. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's cool. Yeah, so, like, he sort of looks up to you a lot, and if you do shitty things, <laughs> Daniel's going to end up doing shitty things also. Okay. Uh, so I think that's that's really awesome, and I haven't seen anything like that before. Yeah, no, I can't think of anything offhand either, uh, except <laughs> there was this horror game um haunting ground do you remember that oh vaguely it was, yeah it was from the makers of the clock tower franchise yeah capcom right published it right? and the <laughs> the thing that reminded me of it is that 
you obviously don't have a sibling, but you have right. a dog. <laughs> and depending on how you treat the dog, and you can kind of train the dog as the game progresses, and eventually it starts, you know, kind of anticipating what you want to do, kind of more readily responding to your commands, or not just being kind of an asshole dog, <laughs> uh, you know, like a dog in real life. Oh my God. Um, so obviously I'm not trying to compare Daniel Diaz with a Shiba Inu, uh, <laughs> but kind of a, just a very tangential kind of uh, connection there reminded me of that game. That's that's really funny. Actually, you know, like, I guess I've kind of seen this tried before, specifically by Telltale, right? Sort of the general idea mm. that your decisions mm-hmm. change a character and what they become. Like uh, the Joker in the Batman game, right? I think you can kind of influence what, well, how he is. Well, not the Joker specifically, or I, I mean, maybe in Batman season two, okay. but in season one, one of the main hooks was your actions sort of determine who Batman's villains are. Right. Right. And, like, you know, the game kind of implied that, like, you could save Harvey Dent, right? Like, Harvey Dent had the potential to not become Mm Two-Face if you made the right decisions. And what that sort of boiled down to was really, like, one decision near the end. (laughs) You know, like... Telltale being telltale, that's kind of always how it is, it feels like. Exactly. Like, they made a promise and they delivered on it, like, really, like, (laughs) sloppily. I, I I was so excited to see... Like I was, I was constantly making decisions right. like with Harvey's best interests in mind, and <laughs> and really, I, I didn't need to work that hard at all. That's like uh, when when you go to a burger joint and you say, "I want cheese fries," and they give you a box of fries and a cup of cheese. Yeah, cheese, comma like, fries. Like yeah. you technically satisfied my request, but this is not what you were. <laughs> this is not the expectation you set. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, side note, funny thing about Haunting Ground is Capcom kind of forgot that game existed for many years, <laughs> but uh, Street Fighter V just started an event where you can unlock a costume for Cammy that makes her look like the protagonist of Haunting Ground. Oh, what the fuck? That's cool. Yeah. It's one of those, uh, it's one of those like, timed events. Uh, I, yeah, forget what they're, yeah. I forget what they're called now, but you have a limited amount of time to sort of beat four matches over the course of four weeks and then get the costume wow you can unlock protagonist girls like pillowcase dress thing that's cool i guess oh yeah 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 <laughs> but yes uh, last thing about life is strange 2 the lead writer john lucano and composer jonathan morale return there will also be licensed music in this game like there have been <laughs> in previous life is strange games cool uh yeah so uh that's that's really neat i i get people's concerns but i am still really looking forward to it yes no, I I agree. I uh, I will look forward to. Well, actually, depending on what my work situation is, I may not be watching you and Amy Lee play it, but I'll look forward to hearing you know your reactions to it. Yeah, first episode comes out September twenty seventh. Cool. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely be playing it then, unless maybe we hold off and make it the focus <laughs> of an episode or something. I don't know. That that seems maybe a a little like it would be cruel to make Amy Lee hold off. It really would. It really would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't think you can pull that one off. Yeah, we'll just play it as it comes out. It's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Another thing that got announced at Gamescom is really cool. Uh, Bandai Namco announced something called the Dark Pictures Anthology. Yes. Uh, This is an anthology of standalone horror games helmed by Supermassive Games, the guys that made Until Dawn. Mm -hmm. Basically, like, each game in the Dark Pictures anthology is going to, like, sort of be, like, a a standalone horror 
story. Like, you know, right, uh, right, right. Yeah, yes. like, like, yeah. The they there won't really be like any real continuity. They'll 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 sort of each be uh, almost like I know, like a playable episode of the Twilight Zone. I guess, right? Which is cool. Yeah, that's a neat idea. Yeah the the first game in the anthology is going to be called Man of Medan, uh, and it takes place on a ghost ship. I love that trope ghost ship yeah just cool yeah spectral ship lots of ectoplasm flying around skeletons on the crew you know yeah I, uh that always just makes me a little happy inside yeah it's coming out for pc ps4 and xbox one uh, man of madon is coming out in 2019 at some point and yeah i just i just love this whole idea like, yeah i'm not really a horror game person but uh until dawn was really neat yes. uh what what we played of it you and i played through like I think half of it together. Yeah, roughly. <laughs> There's a weird cliffhanger that we just yes. stopped. We got to this part where you're like running through a forest trying to escape the killer or whatever. Yeah. And then you just get surrounded by really intense looking deer. Like yeah. many deer. Like so <laughs> many that it was kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. And they're just like staring at you and they approach you and you're like your back is to this cliff. Yeah. And then it fades out and we just both kind of looked at each other like that's enough of this for today. <laughs> <laughs> we we, we never, don't need to keep playing. Yeah. This. And then we never went back to it. Um I'm sure the game got cooler after that, but yes, that was that was definitely a low point. <laughs> you know, um, I um I'm I'm almost certainly more of a horror gamer than you. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but my relationship with them, like, I enjoy sort of the craft of horror games. Like, I think that it's fun to see what people think of, you know, in terms of scaring their audience. Um, I like the atmosphere. I think they're really fun. But if a horror game really gets to me, yeah. like if I'm really scared by it, it's like weeks of running to the basement stairs and shutting the door so that the things won't get me right you know like they really really get to me and so it's kind of this balance it's like eating spicy food you know it's like how <laughs> uncomfortable do i want to be later because of this fun decision that i'm making now right uh so i on the one hand i'm looking forward to man of madon on the other hand hopefully it doesn't traumatize me for too long after i play it that's fair yeah that's <laughs> Uh, that's a really good way to put it. You like your relationship with horror games. Like, <laughs> have you beaten Resident Evil Seven yet? No, I haven't. That game scares the <laughs> shit out of me. I am at this part of that game where I'm at the top of a staircase into the basement, into this like meat locker area, and I know there's bad shit down there. Oh, so your I've example was it? very specific. <laughs> yes. So like, I just like. Every time I boot up that game, it's like I walk to the stairs, I look down at the door, and I think, mm, I don't know if I want to go in there right now. <laughs> oh, man. And then I go, you know, maybe for 20 minutes, I, like, root around in there, and I, I, I'm, like, frantically murdering weird plant monsters, and then I quit. <laughs> so that's that's been my Resident Evil experience. Great game. I i would love for you to get down there and it's just like something that's just like not scary you know you just open the door and it's that fucking like redneck man who's like howdy i made right, you a right. cake he uh he, when, he actually is scary i was gonna say like when you're well when you're in the game like sometimes he's intimidating but sometimes like you like peek around a corner and you can kind of see him clearly at a point when the game didn't necessarily want you to see him. Like he's just in patrol mode or whatever. Oh, okay. And you're like, okay, this is a video game. Oh, I know? gotcha. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that generally that game is very effective at, you know, kind of the horror aspect that Resident Evil sort of left behind for a little while. It was like action yeah. on the side of horror. It was nice for them to return to their roots. Cool. Finally, I think the last bit of news we'll touch on is 
something that uh, is very dear to Sean's heart. Yes. Uh, Streets of Rage 4. Oh, my God. Just got announced during Gamescom, I think, again, by uh, .mu. Um, these guys who have just sort of gotten the rights to a lot of properties that are like sort of cult popular, <laughs> right. but the, you know, the people that own those properties don't feel like making games out of them. Like .mu actually during a Nintendo Indie Direct announced Windjammers 2, <laughs> uh, like a week prior. Right. Uh, Windjammers being sort of this, uh, this like disc frisbee, like really cool franchise yeah um yeah almost like sort of air hockey with superpowers kind of game it actually reminds or me dodgeball that's how uh-huh. i put it um it reminds me of the scene in tron 2 when oh, they're like yeah. throwing the disc back and forth at each other in the yeah, games yeah. you know it's kind of that feel to it yeah um and it's enjoyed this weird resurgence of popularity specifically because of like the fighting game scene like yes. it's always a wind jammer side tournament <laughs> even though it's not a fighting game yeah so that was smart of them to snap that up and smarter than to snatch streets of rage 4 up as well yes. it's being developed by lizard cube uh this development studio that has been remaking the monster boy games with just like these really like gorgeous like hand-drawn graphics mm-hmm I especially like the way they look in Monster Boy. Like it's like you're playing a cartoon. <laughs> uh, it looks so cute. That's cool. Um, they are also doing sort of the hand drawn thing for Streets of Rage Four, and I'm not quite as sold on that aesthetic yet. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm 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 kind of in the same boat because yeah. I think that the Streets of Rage had this really the Streets of Rage franchise had this really gritty thing going on for yeah. the first three, and then this kind of it 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 goes maybe a little too cartoony. Right. However. It's like a time skip, I think. And, yeah. you know, they've kind of visibly aged Axel, one of the protagonists. And yes. he looks great. His yeah. design is so good. He's got this big-ass Chuck Norris beard. Yes, like, it's yeah. just awesome. No, his uh, older Axel looks great. Older Blaze, the other confirmed character, <laughs> just, looks the same. Yeah, it looks, yeah, <laughs> looks just the same. Yeah. But, uh, but I guess that's women in Japanese video games it for you. It sure is. They're also getting help from Guard Crush Games, the developers of uh, the Streets of Rage style game called Streets of Fury. (laughs) And we don't know who's doing the soundtrack yet, but it's probably the guy that did the soundtrack for the original Streets of Rage games, Yuko Koshiro. I would love that. Like, you know, like people noticed that no one was really saying anything (laughs) about the soundtrack, so people like sort of... Like, we're messaging Yuko Koshiro on Twitter to the point that he publicly tweeted, Hey guys, I know you're excited, but I can't talk <laughs> about what I'm doing right now. Right, right. Which, uh, which felt very much like uh, I'm not legally allowed to mm-hmm. tell you I'm on it, but I'm on it. The non-denial denial. Yeah, exactly. I'm really... I uh, I just think that the Streets of Rage games, in particular 2 and 3 are some of the best beat-em-ups that have ever been released on any console. They're classics, for sure. Yeah, and so, like, I'm just so glad it's back. And yeah. I'm really, really excited to give Streets of Rage 4 a try when it gets released. Yeah, I'm definitely hoping that the fact that we don't even know who's doing the soundtrack yet, for sure, mm-hmm. is an indicator that they're keeping some stuff close to the chest. Yes. Maybe some ways that it kind of furthers the beat-em-up genre a little bit and mm-hmm. tries some things differently uh some people got to play the demo hmm. at gamescom and they say there's this neat mechanic where 
you can slowly regain health by doing a combo. Oh. Uh, like the, the length of your combo sort of determines how much health you get back. That's cool. And uh, that sort of mitigates the fact that your super attack costs health. Right. Oh, that's really neat. Um, I like that idea a lot. Like, I'm hoping that that means that they're sort of thinking of new ways to sort of surprise us with Streets of Rage 4. And also, I'm hoping that uh, Axel and Blaze are great, but I'm hoping they're not the only playable characters. One, uh, me too. One thing that would actually be kind of a dream for me is if you could just, like, unlock, like, a bunch of characters <laughs> that have been important through Streets of Rage's history. <sighs> My personal favorite is Skate from Streets of Rage 2. Yes. Like this, yeah, this, like, eight-year-old boy with rollerblades. He's, like, <laughs> he's like the little brother of one of the serious staples, this guy named Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's hilarious. He just yells his own name when he does attacks. He just yells, <laughs> Skate! Uh, with like just this really garbled sound chip, like trying to have him use that voice. Some uh, very early voice acting. Yeah. Oh man, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to Streets of Rage Four for sure. Me too. video game news okay so we were recommended the game evo land 2 uh before we get into that we are going to talk about what else we've been playing and even though it's been a while i haven't played a whole lot else uh because evo land 2 was one of those games where when i was playing a different video game i felt guilty that i was <laughs> playing a different video game yeah i i did get to play a couple things though the first of which was WarioWare Gold, which I was really looking forward to. Yes. If you know Daniel, then you know that he loves his WarioWare. Yes, it's uh it's one of my favorite franchises. It's it's the series where where you know, there there's some games that have a lot of mini games in them, a lot of just smaller uh experiences that sort of bundle together into a larger whole. And WarioWare takes the mini game concept and flips it on his head by having just hundreds of <laughs> micro games, as they're called, which is basically like each level is you play just a bunch of six second long games back to back. Right. And uh, and basically you have to beat a certain number of them before you get to a boss. And, uh, and you have like a set amount of lives that allow you to lose a certain amount of games. Like usually if you lose if you lose four games before you beat the boss, then you lose that level and you have to start over. Right. One thing that's always impressed me about the WarioWare franchise is that almost all of the micro games are super intuitive. Yes. Like you, if you get three words of instructions, that's like long, you know, yeah, like yeah. sometimes it's like one or two words and uh, you just, you're immediately like, oh my gosh, I have to shove this finger in this guy's nose. Like <laughs> yeah. You just immediately know what to do. Yeah. They're, they're always like, they're generally like one word. It, like you'll you'll see like a word pop on the screen like jump and right. then you'll instantly know that like oh there's a shark car <laughs> driving towards me i need to jump over it to beat this level and yeah. that's always it's always right you're right like they give you a surprisingly small amount of information and it's all the information you need really tap into your monkey brain yeah you know, yeah uh and help you figure that out yeah warrior Wear gold is a compilation it's a collection of 
micro games made through the entire WarioWare franchise. Right. There's micro games from the original. There's micro games from WarioWare Twisted that used like a gyro motion sensor. The coolest game in the WarioWare canon. Oh yeah, for sure. Agreed <laughs> completely. They have mini games from WarioWare Touched, which involved you tapping the touch screen to do various mini games, or you know, like using the stylus to like make swiping motions or spinning motions or whatever. Right. And they also have many uh, micro games from WarioWare Smooth Moves, <laughs> a game where that involved you like tilting the Wiimote in various right. ways for the micro games. And in Gold, they they convert it into a game where you're either rotating your 3DS or you're tapping. Okay, that's cool. yeah. They also had a handful of brand new micro games uh, that have never been in a WarioWare game before, and I was kind of worried that there wouldn't be enough new. Mm-hmm. But they they do mix it into a package that that felt really fun to go through for the first time. That's good. And there's a bunch of unlockables, like any good WarioWare game has. Sure. So I I played a shitload of it. I beat it in like a single day, but I kept <laughs> coming back to it for weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's really fun. I love it. And sometimes they just put a lot of time into like some really small features. There is this feature in the game called Wario's Amiibo Corner. <laughs> You open it up, and Wario is, uh, like, dressed up in a painter's outfit with an easel in front of him. And then you scan any amiibo that you have, and he will paint a picture. The game's compatible with, like, 60 to 70 different amiibo. Right. And uh, and if you scan any of those compatible amiibo in, he will paint a picture of the of the character whose amiibo you just scanned in. He will paint a picture of them, and they look awful Right, every it's time. like a five-year-old drawing yeah. of what the Amiibo looked like. Yeah, exactly. And um, I have a pretty big Amiibo collection. Pretty, pretty big. Mm-hmm. I have, I have a, a few. I have, like, a handful of Amiibo. You could say that. Definitely not over 60. Definitely not, like, shelves buckling under the weight of Amiibo. <laughs> uh yeah, Amy and I had a thing where, like, Wario's Amiibo Corner allows you to scan three Amiibo per day. So we all had a ritual going for a couple weeks where it's like, oh, it's a new day. Let's let's pick three Amiibo to scan and see what Wario draws. <laughs> yeah, WarioWare's a lot of fun. I would recommend it to anyone wanting to revisit the franchise that hasn't in a while, uh, especially because <laughs> WarioWare uh, hasn't really gotten a new game in too many years. Yeah. I would also recommend it to people playing that that are interested in the franchise that have never played a WarioWare game before. Uh, sometimes the game kind of rewards people that have been with the franchise for a while, mm-hmm. but it doesn't like completely depend on everyone knowing knowing the game and how it works and its characters. Cool. One neat thing is that this is the first WarioWare game with full voice acting, <laughs> uh, and. So, like, you get to hear Charles Martinet as Wario just speak full sentences. <laughs> That's really strange. Yeah, it was it was surreal, but he does a great job. That's good. Uh, and actually, there's a feature in the game that you can unlock where you can dub your own voice. Oh, my God. <laughs> over cutscenes. So you can voice Wario or you can voice <laughs> Ashley or Dr. Krygor uh, and replace the voice acting if you don't like it. Wow, I can't believe I'm getting this game later <laughs> for that feature specifically. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun. I like it a lot. Cool. What's something you've been playing, Sean? Like, I haven't seen you 
across from me playing on your Switch every day for the past week. I can't imagine what game you've been thinking about because I've been so stealthily playing Monster Hunter Generations <laughs> Ultimate. <laughs> Now, we've talked about Monster Hunter on this podcast before, specifically Monster Hunter World. Yes. Uh, The Generations kind of spin-off series, a lot of people think of it as kind of like anime Monster Hunter in the same way that anime fighters are different from regular fighting games. Oh, interesting. Like, uh, it's just everything's much flashier, and in particular, you have these, uh, they're called hunting styles. Right. That kind of change the gameplay around. And I really wanted to play Generations Ultimate for a very long time because it was out in Japan for a long time before we got it. Yeah, yeah. Because it adds two new hunting styles. One of them is called Valor Style, which is sort of this, uh, if I were kind of doing this translation, I might call it like Berserker Style. Because the idea is that you kind of charge up this meter by like armoring through attacks with this new move that you get. And then once it's maxed out, you get these kind of super powerful weapon attacks that you don't normally have access to. Ah. Like uh, for dual blades, for instance, uh, you know, normally if you're a dual blades user, you have to kind of go into this stamina draining mode called demon mode to get to your most powerful attacks. Okay. Uh, The way that Valor dual blades works is that you don't have access to demon mode anymore. Like you push the button and you do kind of a dash forward instead. Okay. But when you charge the meter all the way up until it ticks all the way back down, you're just permanently in demon mode. Oh. So you kind of, you know, depending on what weapon you're using, you get different benefits uh, for being in this kind of special Valor mode. Um, And, uh, boy, just a lot of them are really fun. Uh, It's definitely the more popular style. Right. I find that when I'm hunting with other people, like, usually the other three people are in some kind of Valor style and have a really good time doing that. Okay. My preference, however, is for the other new style that was introduced, which is called Alchemy Style. Right. You kind of actually give up a number of your more powerful weapon moves, and in exchange, you can equip three Hunter Arts, which are sort of like super moves that you get. Hmm. Uh, And you also have access to a special item called the Alchemy Barrel. Right. You charge that up by defeating enemies, and it also charges up over time, and then you can shake it to craft items. (laughs) Kind of like Mischief Makers. Do you remember Mischief Makers? I remember Mischief Makers, yeah. Great little game for the N64. Shake, shake. had a very similar... Yes, exactly. So it's really fun because, first of all, a lot of them are kind of support-oriented items, like you can heal all of your teammates or stun a monster or whatever. But then you can also just kind of like craft whetstones that also power up your weapon or kind of, you know, a healing item that just kind of constantly heals you over time. And so I can go into a hunt with like half the items I would usually bring because I'm just going to create them with alchemy style. Right. Uh, It's really, really neat. Uh, So usually, you know, it's three Valor style people and then I have my alchemy barrel and I'm just shaking that in the background while they're getting thrashed around. (laughs) Um, you do really fun. You do tend to gravitate toward the healer role in a lot of games. Yes. Um, I love playing the support role in games. It actually kind of blows my mind that it's traditionally kind of the most unpopular role. I think a lot of people just enjoy doing lots of damage, you know, big numbers, big kills, that kind of thing. People are selfish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but if I have the opportunity to make a healer or support character, that's what I'm going to do. Nice. Um, so I've been having a really great time with Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, um, and uh, I think that it's a great continuation of the franchise, even though in some ways it's kind of a step back from World, right? Like, right, there was right. definitely kind of a moment at the beginning where I was like, oh, I have to hold still to drink potions again? Like, I gotta 
paintballs are a thing? Oh, like, no. Oh, man. But then I started, you know, mixing it up in uh, Valor Demon style, and I was like, okay, this is fine. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I see. I'm, I'm back in. And then okay. I discovered Alchemy style, and it was all over. Right. I see. Okay. I feel like I'd probably hate that game. Uh, it would. Well, uh, yeah. You it would. You would definitely be kind of forcing yourself to play it at least yeah. until you got used to it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that World is probably the better experience for for you know people who don't have the patience for dealing with all the bullshit that comes with older Monster Hunter titles, which is completely understandable. Right. Yeah. Like hate's a strong word, but definitely like <laughs> I, I remember our discussion about World a lot, and a lot of that discussion involving sort of how many advancements that monster hunter world had made over past games and how so many and how sometimes world still felt behind mm-hmm. in certain ways i would definitely be less eager to play a game that feels even more behind sometimes than world does that's completely fair um however uh it's it's cool to hear about the differences in which it's better and yeah i'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. it does sound interesting at least cool i appreciate that what else have you been playing uh, I got to start a game that Max was actually really looking forward to at the beginning of the year called Donut County. <laughs> Just a great name, first yeah. of all. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like, if uh, you're familiar with this franchise, Katamari Damacy. Yes. Uh, this game made during the PS2 era, where you're like a, a little tiny man rolling a ball around and like getting stuff stuck onto the ball and... The more stuff you can roll onto the ball, the bigger the ball gets, which increases the amount of things you can roll into the ball. And, you know, by the end of the level, like, your ball's the size of a house. And right. then later levels, your house is, like, the size of planets and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, rolling up stars. I, yeah. um, if you missed out for whatever reason on the Katamari Damacy franchise, uh, I should say, incidentally, that I am not someone who does or has ever used drugs recreationally. <laughs> that is the trippiest video game <laughs> franchise I think that I've ever experienced. There are these wild cutscenes, and then just the whole premise of the game is really bizarre. Um, like if you're if you're looking for kind of a natural and completely unaided, you know, high, try playing <laughs> Katamari Damacy. Uh, you'll be you'll be tripping through space. <laughs> What an endorsement. Uh, no, that game's wacky as hell. And uh, Donut County almost feels in some ways like reverse Katamari Damacy. Uh, because oh. you are a hole. Uh, <laughs> you, you control a hole in the ground and you can move it around and move it in ways so that uh, things will fall into the hole. Right? And the more things fall into the hole, the bigger the hole gets. Ah. So so basically you start as a tiny hole and it's like, oh, okay, only only this tennis ball will fit. Only mm-hmm. this uh this duck will fit in the hole. And <laughs> then uh, duck. yeah, and then eventually like the hole's so big that you're like putting cars in the hole and <laughs> entire houses are falling in the hole. Uh wow. and and sometimes you can do things that sort of like change the way the hole works, like you can drag your hole over to a lake and then your hole will be filled with water and things can float in the hole. You can engulf a campfire in your hole and then smoke and fire will be coming out Hmm. of the hole. And then you sort of like, uh, you sort of move the hole underneath a hot air balloon and make the (laughs) balloon like float up and out of the level. Uh, wow. 
This almost sounds like the sort of HP Lovecraft horror version of Katamari Damacy. It's not scary. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm it's, sure it's not. Yeah. With a name like Donut County, I'm yes. sure it's not. But I'm just picturing this like menacing black hole that's getting <laughs> wider and wider. Things are falling into it. The townspeople don't know what to do. They're right. staring at it. No, the it's... crotchety sheriff <laughs> is, you know. No, that's not what's happening at all. It's a very like silly. The, the tone of the game is very silly and cute. Um, it's got this very like cartoony style to okay. it. This almost like this pastel aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you are not. You personally are not the whole. the The player character is a raccoon <laughs> that found this app that allows him to control the hole. Ah, uh, and okay. like, and like the the more things he engulfs in the hole, the higher his level gets in the app. So he gets addicted to the game, <laughs> and basically, like, you play the first level, and then like it it flashes forward mm-hmm. like it time skips into a future where the hole has engulfed an entire city like <laughs> uh and basically like everyone's just like inside the hole now and they've like set up like their own like mini civilization inside the hole and everyone's angry at the raccoon they're like why wild. did yeah they're like why did you do this raccoon <laughs> uh and the raccoon uh like then sort of it's like well uh remember this and then it and then it jumps back to like the next level. Ah, that's cute. Yeah, a townsperson will be underneath there, and like their house will be like crumbled behind them. It's like I can't believe you did this. And the raccoon's like, "Do you mean when I did this?" And then it'll, <laughs> and then it'll uh, play okay. that moment back. Sounds what? like Bugs Bunny could also be a protagonist of this game. <laughs> <laughs> it's a God. The game's really stupid, but in a really like charming and enjoyable way. Okay. Yeah, I've I've only played like a few levels at this point. It was a lot of fun. Like at the end of each level, uh, it sort of gives you like an encyclopedia of like everything that fell in the hole that you can kind of look <laughs> at, and they're all like they're all just like silly little descriptions. Like, uh, like you'll you'll put the cursor over the duck, and I'll say something like "Quack him up, buddy!" Like oh you know, just <laughs> just really stupid. Okay. That's not something that is actually said in the game, but it, well, you know, I, I like I liked yours. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Quack him up, buddy. So, <laughs> so yeah, I I'm definitely looking forward to playing more Donut County. Cool. I did enjoy my time with it. All right. So, what else on your end? What else have I been playing? I have been playing Destiny Two a little bit. Right. Yes. That uh, that was recently a PlayStation Plus game, right? Yes. That yes. You could it get was. for free. And so I did. I got it for free on the recommendation of my brother, Ryan, who was a big fan of Destiny 1. Hmm. Uh, Really, really enjoyed that game. And so we haven't gotten to play it together yet because of scheduling, but uh, we we intend to. Destiny 2, you know, as Destiny 1 was, it's kind of a first-person shooter RPG hybrid. Oh, is it first-person? It is first-person, yes. It's third-person when you're around town. So you can kind of admire your avatar, you know, if you're in the hub area. But when you're out in the world, it's first-person. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's made by Bungie, the, of course, Halo uh, Halo studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, there's definitely some kind of similarities in feeling and tone. Um, I played a lot of Halo 3 in college. Mm -hmm. uh, So, you know, definitely noticed some stuff there. I like it a lot more than I thought I was going to, actually, I have to say. Um, It's pretty neat. It's definitely a first-person shooter first. Right. Like, you know, ultimately the objective is to aim your weapon at your opponent's head better than they can aim their weapon at your head. Right. Uh, But there's enough cool RPG stuff 
that uh, I'm interested in it more than I normally would be a game of that genre. Okay. Like uh, you start off and you're able to choose from one of three classes. Nice. Um, one of them is Guardian, and they're kind of like bulkier and tankier. Right, right. Uh, and then there is a whatever the DPS class is. I can't remember what they're called. Right. Uh, the class that I chose is Warlock, which is kind of like this spell casting supporty class, of course. Right, of um, course. Yeah. <laughs> Their whole thing is that they kind of have a lot of abilities that can affect enemies in an area. Hmm. So where, you know, your other classes might be kind of more single target focused. Like I have a grenade that I can throw out that kind of blows up and just creates a big black hole that damages enemies while they're inside of it. Right. Or I can put down a healing field, kind of Soldier 76 style, and people ah. can stand in it to heal up. Okay. Uh, a lot of neat things like that. I'm not super far in, like I did, you know... You, there's kind of an introductory segment where you kind of get acquainted with the world that you're in and you experience a lot of story stuff Gotcha. that probably would have had more of a payoff for me if I'd played Destiny 1. There's right. a lot of like, oh no, the light's in danger. And I'm just like, what the fuck is the word? <laughs> about? Gotcha. Like, wow, I guess this would be really sad if like I had played Destiny 1. But uh, then you kind of get out into the world and it becomes kind of more almost free roaming okay like uh you have a ship and you can you can choose on a map where you want to fly and then you land at your destination and there's just other players there and oh. uh i'm not exactly sure how it decides who i'm playing with but it seems it feels very organic okay it doesn't feel like oh i'm joining this group of people now you know right and then you just kind of wander around and accept quests and do missions, and uh, it's it's fun. It, nice. I can definitely see it kind of scratching, you know, that sort of MMO esque itch. Um, okay. So I will definitely put some more time into it. See what else it has to offer. That's awesome. Um, Bioware mm -hmm. is making kind of a Destiny like called Anthem. Yes. Uh, that's supposed to come out in 2019. Knowing what, having played Destiny two and knowing what you know about Anthem, do you think that Destiny's in trouble at all, or do you mm. think that, uh, or do you think that you kind of prefer the Destiny two experience to what you know of about Anthem? I here's what I think about Anthem. Okay, I think that if Anthem were to deliver on everything that it's promising in a way that is really satisfying. Yeah. I think that maybe Destiny 2 would be in trouble. However, I think that BioWare is kind of on thin ice. You know what I mean? <laughs> I Last do. Last couple of things they've done haven't gone so well. Right. Um I don't know, possibly because they've been working on Anthem this whole time, who knows. Yeah, um the the word is that for example, Mass Effect Andromeda was mm -hmm. sort of made by their B team while, right. the, while the A team was working on Anthem. So the the shitty output of Bioware <laughs> has been from the teams that they that the teams that have less manpower and right. smaller budgets and stuff. So I I hope that Anthem is good. Yeah. Um I would definitely love to give it a shot when it comes out. Mm -hmm. But based on Bioware's recent track record, I don't know. We'll see. You That's know? fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, even even their A team, you know, was behind Mass Effect Three mm -hmm. and uh, and Dragon Age Inquisition. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, depending on who you ask, I've heard people that vouch very strongly for both of those games, right? Uh, more for Inquisition than than Mass Effect Three. <laughs> Funnily enough, I was just in a thread this morning where people were shitting on Dragon Age Inquisition <laughs> for the entire thread, right? Uh, so it really does depend on kind of the the circles you're running with, I yeah. guess. 
I, I hope for Bioware's sake that this is that Anthem will be a return to form yes. for them because I I have very much enjoyed especially the concept of mm-hmm. of Bioware's like, you know, output in previous generations. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I every time I have seen uh, you know, a gameplay demo, a trailer for Anthem uh, there's definitely been more stuff that I've found exciting than stuff that has put me off, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think, uh, for instance, um, like, for instance, you know, during previews of No Man's Sky, even when people <laughs> were really hyped up about that game, there was definitely a part of me that go- was going like, oh, I don't know, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And I don't get that feeling with Anthem. Like, the okay. only thing that gives me that feeling with Anthem is Bioware's reputation recently as a games developer. Yeah, that's fair. I think Anthem itself looks really great, and yeah. I hope that it is as good as it looks. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Like... A lot of people were excited about Mass Effect Andromeda right. before it came out, and people's faces wouldn't stay on their bodies or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. that's a good point. So I guess fingers crossed there. Yeah. Hmm. And have I been playing anything else? Yu Gi Oh Duel Links? Huh? You could talk about Yu Gi Oh Duel Links without Max rolling his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't want to do that. I've, I've, Max has only been gone for one episode. I want to respect him a bit. Yeah, well, not, while the wounds are fresh, Wait. you don't want to throw salt in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess just talking about anything else you've been playing. Okay. Um, the other thing that I've been kind of devoting. I guess more time to, you know, than than other games would be Heroes of the Storm, Ooh. which is a game that's been out a little while now, a couple right. of years. It is a MOBA uh, from Blizzard, the makers of Warcraft and Starcraft and Diablo. Right, and MOBAs being uh, sort of those uh, League of Legends style games. Right, yeah, League of Legends, Dota, uh, right. Heroes of New Earth, all that kind of thing. Where you're kind of like on a field and controlling your character RTS style, and your yeah. goal is to take out your opponent's base before they can take out yours, basically. Right. A very simplified description of what MOBAs are like. <laughs> yeah, to actually, it would take like 45 minutes. Yeah. But, uh, but Heroes is kind of, uh, I think, different from a lot of other MOBAs in ways that really appeal to me. Right. Like, I played League of Legends for a long time, but. I thought that the meta was kind of stale and there's this mechanic called last hitting where like you only get experience and gold if you kill, you know, uh, if you strike the last blow on an enemy and I've never enjoyed that. Yeah. And so heroes in a sense just kind of trims the fat, right? They like cut out a lot of that stuff that I don't like, like experience is just kind of global, right? Like if you kill an enemy, your teammates get experience. There's no gold or item shops. You just gain talents as you level, they're called. So you can kind of spec your character in a way that you want. Right. Um, So the game is kind of, it's much more sort of kinetic and active. And you are kind of moving around the map constantly trying to contest these sort of objective points that pop up. That's really cool. You know, I consider myself someone that plays a variety of games and genres Mm -hmm. and, and wants to branch out and try like everything that the industry and everything that the medium has to offer especially especially like the the stuff that takes takes risks and the stuff that is a little weirder than anything else out there Mm -hmm. and and i've always struggled to get into any mobas because because they're just so obtuse and so (laughs) uh dumb so (laughs) no i mean like unfortunately there are just so many kind of 
these mechanics that sort of carry over these things that carry over because you know the first MOBA was made on the Warcraft 3 engine and they right. had to work around all this bullshit right and so now it's just kind of expected that these things are a part of the game but they don't have to be yeah so I appreciate that from what it sounds like you're saying that Heroes of the Storm uh, sort of uh, streamlines a lot of the nonsense that has been considered like staples of the genre I think that's accurate yeah, yeah. like uh you know, normally in League of Legends, for instance, I would always play support characters, of course. And right. being a support character, I was expected to support the AD carry and stay in the bottom lane and not kill any minions. And, you know, it's kind of very rote, you know, yeah, your yeah, responsibility. Yeah. When I boot up Heroes of the Storm, I pick the character I want to play. And then it's like, ooh, what what lane am I going to go to? Where am I going to go? Am I going to try to do this? Am I going to try to do that? Like, oh, someone's in trouble. I'm going to run over here, you know. Okay. Um, the It really feels to me as though you have a lot more freedom because you're not kind of trapped in this really, really rigid kind of situation that you would be in in any other MOBA. That's great. Uh, so the character that I've been playing lately is uh, High Inquisitor Sally Whitemane. Huh. She's from the Warcraft universe, and in that universe she's the leader of a kind of evil faction called the Scarlet Crusade, who are sort of like evil paladins. Right, because Heroes of the Storm... Oh uh, yes, I the, should say. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, like the conceit there is that like all the playable characters are from other blizzard ips like diablo and, yes. and warcraft and starcraft and overwatch mm -hmm. right and yeah. overwatch yeah yeah i think even like some of their like obscure like sort the lost of... vikings are in there oh, right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's awesome no, that's really great um are the Lost Vikings, like, viable? Do you, like, see Lost Vikings in competitive a lot? Um, I haven't, but, but I'm not, you know, like, I'm I'm not super far up in the competitive ladder yet. Maybe, maybe I can <laughs> maybe I can get a Heroes of the Storm account in, like, main Lost Vikings. That'd be great. There's there's another really neat character, Cho'Gall, who is from Warcraft. He's a two-headed ogre. Oh. And the way that that works mechanically is that two people have to pick Cho'Gall, and one controls one head and one controls the <laughs> other head. So, like, one person is kind of moving Cho'Gall and then has certain abilities that he's using. Right. And then the other person is basically kind of casting spells. Oh. And they have their own separate abilities. Oh, and, wow. Uh, very very hype generating you know in, yeah. in like a tournament or whatever when someone when two players pick chogal that's always very exciting that's awesome so sally whitemane uh comes from this faction of sort of evil paladins and priests called the scarlet crusade who mm. ostensibly want to eradicate undead from the world but actually just want to kill all non-humans she sort of heals by doing damage like, she has an ability that she casts on you where you're kind of buffed for a while, and then whenever she deals damage, the person that she's buffed gets healed. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she feels very kind of... Uh, she's relatively high damage for a support character, and you really get to kind of dish out a lot of pain while simultaneously healing people. Right. She has this ability where she kind of affixes you with this beam of light that deals damage over time. Huh. And she does the the anime like, oh, ho, 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 laugh the entire time she's doing it. Maybe and it's the best. The mic, but go on. <laughs> it's the best laugh like that that I've ever heard a non-Japanese voice actor do. Like She oh does a God. really good job. Wow. Uh, that's, so <laughs> that's uh yeah cool that's a high bar so that's been really fun i've been having a, i've been having a good time with sally and a good time with heroes of the storm nice good i'm i'm happy to hear that cool <laughs> it's cool like we've had a lot of time to play other games <laughs> right. um but uh because we haven't wanted to play evil and <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second 
Maybe we can get to it after this. Interstitial music. Ooh. <laughs> Obviously, and you, Sean, were a guest in that episode. We yes. played Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and our other guest was Colin, who recommended a video game to the two of us. He did. Uh, that game was Evil Land Two. It sure was. It's uh, this indie game you can get for PC. You can get on Steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available for PC and Mac, and it's also available for uh, smartphones as of this year. Uh, and an iOS version came out. Uh, like in February or something, mm. and an Android version came out in June. And later on, I'll be delighted to talk to you about which of those versions you should purchase if you're <laughs> interested in playing Evil Land 2. <laughs> Hint, it's not one of them. <laughs> so uh, so I played through the Steam version of the game. I played through the PC version the whole way through. Uh, Sean uh, played through about half of the Android version. Yes, I had it on my Nexus 7 tablet. Yes, and then he, uh, you watched a playthrough of the rest, so we're both on the same page as, I, yes. to, as to how the whole game went. So Evil Land 2 uh, is a game developed by Shiro Games, a sort of an indie company, mostly run by two guys, Sebastian Vidal and Nicholas Canas. Great names. And it's a sequel to another game that the two of them made called Evil Land. Right. Evil Land is really interesting because there is a game jam uh that happens three times a year that i've actually talked about on play this before because i really love it it's called ludum dare Mm -hmm. and the thing about ludum dare is like uh three weekends a year uh they announce a theme at the beginning of the weekend and then people have basically like 72 hours to make a game from scratch right and evo land the evo land was initially made as a ludum dare game for Mm -hmm. the 24th ludum dare the theme was evolution, and Evil End was made as basically a game that evolved as you played. Like it started with like Game Boy graphics, and you could only move right, right. and then you like, and then you would unlock items that like uh, changed the graphics to eight bit and sixteen bit, and then like you know gave you the ability to attack and gave you the ability to move in like two D space. Mm-hmm. Some things would like change the battle system and stuff. It was a cool, like, little hour-long game, and it actually won Ludum Dare. Okay. It, it got first place as the best game of that uh, of that competition. So, the guys, they, they made an expanded commercial version of the game for Steam. Mm-hmm. And uh, that game, like, sort of added more elements to it. But essentially, uh, the whole thing was a cool concept that was more or less like a tech demo for for what they try to do with Evil Land 2, mm-hmm. which sort of takes the the tools and the concepts that they made with Evil Land 1, makes a whole, like, a big, like, story and narrative around it, and sort of expands the amount of genres that they tackle as well. Right. Uh, like, uh, Evil Land 1 was sort of like, uh, sort of like an evolution of these... Zelda action game, mm-hmm. uh, like 2D Zelda games, basically, is what Evil Land 1 mostly riffed on. Evil Land 2 sort of riffs on gaming history as a whole. Yes. And 
the success at which it does that varies. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> uh, Evil End 1 didn't really have a story. And I guess I should say, like, I, I actually played through Evil End 1 before Colin even recommended Evil Land 2 to us. And I, I really, you know, uh, I played both the Ludum Dare version way back when, and mm -hmm. I played the, the expanded commercial version a good time later. And, oh, cool, cool proof of concept, guy. Like, that's right. what that game was. Evil Land 2 tries to be more, and um, I guess we'll we'll talk about whether that was a good idea or not. <laughs> the story of Evil Land 2 is basically, it's like sort of this fantasy setting mm -hmm. where like humans and demons have been at war for a long time. And it starts at a point in the timeline where the humans have defeated the demons. Uh, demons are kind of like close to extinction. Right. And things seem peaceful for the human race. But turns out that a... A great disaster is about to happen, and you quickly gain the ability to time travel, and and you sort of become intertwined in these events, both the events in the past where the demon-human war is happening, uh, which is rendered in sort of this 8-bit style, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the point right before this great disaster, sort of the present day, which is more of a 16-bit graphical style, and the future, where where the disaster happened, but, like, the world's still there and, and stuff's going on. Um, and stuff's going on. Uh, where, the where, like, the, the disaster has happened, but, like, the, the world has sort of moved on from that and made, like, technological advancements and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, done in, like, this 32-bit sort of cleaned-up N64 graphic style. Mm -hmm. It almost reminded me of, like, what you might do with like a 3d nintendo ds game kind yeah of like yeah that level of graphical fidelity yes yeah and you spend a lot of the game like sort of sliding between uh these three eras in sort of a linear fashion mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of the basic plot of the game without going into too much spoiler territory yeah so as we like to do uh, every episode um, we'll start by giving sort of our spoiler-free impressions of the game, like overall. Sure. Uh, would you like to start? Absolutely. I admire Evoland 2's ambition. Yeah. However, a couple of things prevented me from enjoying it as much as I would have liked to. Yeah. I think the first, and in my case most prominent, is that I chose to play it on Android because I figured <laughs> yes. that this is how Colin played it. If he could enjoy it this way, I can enjoy it this it way. Is, it is worth noting that I think the smartphone of Colin's choice is iPhone. Uh, right, yeah. right. So but he, all the same, I mean, in terms yeah. of just control, you right, know. Right, yes. I figured, well, if he could get through the game, you know, doing this with his two thumbs on a touchscreen, yeah. you know, then so can I. Right. That was not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, oh, I, I had a really hard time. I think that there's definitely an extent to which it feels as though the developers sort of just stuck the game on Android, you know, and, and iOS and kind of added a couple of virtual thumbsticks and then washed their hands and said, well, that's fine. We're done. Right. Uh, and it definitely hurts the game. Um, it also hurt my thumbs after a while. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, like, you know, the, there was a period of time, particularly as we got closer to recording, where I was really trying to kind of crunch time the game where I would have to stop because, like, my hands were aching from right. playing on a touchscreen uh, right. for so long. Uh, and then also, I was running the game on, you know, an older uh, tablet. Uh, the right. Nexus 7 that I have, I got it in, like, 2013 or 2014. Right. Uh, so, like, four-ish years ago. Um, and I thought that that would be fine because I had just kind of seen... 
like the 2D parts of the game and thought like, oh, well, you know, I mean, if I can like, if I could, in theory, emulate like an SNES game on my tablet, then this should be fine. Right. Um, I wasn't aware that there would be a 3D segment, which was a little taxing on my tablet. Right. And then also I ran into some glitches, like some right. textures were not loading. Right. Uh, in particular, that just made the game more difficult to play on tablet. Technical uh, snafus aside, I also think that generally speaking, and I'll get into more detail regarding this when we're in the spoiler segment, Right. I think the game has a certain problem with authenticity. Right. I think that if they had committed a little bit more to what they were trying to do and made it feel a little more genuine and a little bit less kind of wink and nod and prey on your nostalgia, right, right. then I would have had a better time with it, but... A lot of the time it felt like I was being pandered to, and I don't appreciate feeling that way. Right. I think that's very fair. I think Evil Land 2 is really interesting. Really, I think the best parts of Evil Land 2 were things that they already kind of did in Evil Land 1, mm -hmm. right? Like, having played Evil Land 1, I don't know if Evil Land 2 was necessary, because <laughs> all the new things that Evil Land 2 tries, I don't think it does very well. Right. Um, however, especially in, like, the later half of the game... Uh, Evil Land 2 did end up growing on me a lot. Yeah, I would say so too, actually. Like, yeah, the, the first half of the game, it plays with a lot of different a lot of different genres. Pokes fun at a lot of different kinds of video games, and there's a lot of references. And actually, for the most part, I wasn't having fun with the segments in which they tried new things. Yeah. And the base gameplay, the base like Zelda-style gameplay, also got kind of tiring. Funnily um, enough, I... <laughs> Like, I, I kind of booted up the game for the first time, and I was running around in the sort of Zelda-style, you know, environment. Yeah. And I thought, well, this is kind of boring, but I guess, like, it's going to, like, shift to a new genre, and then I won't have to do this anymore. <laughs> and I was wrong about that. Yeah, That's definitely the, the backbone of the game. Right, yeah. The Zelda genre is kind of the default, the 2D Zelda genre. Um, However, the second leg of the game, the second half of the game, things open up in a way, like... The, the things you can do sort of increases. Mm -hmm. There's some, like, optional stuff you can tackle that's actually, like, enjoyable. And it also feels like some of the uh, some of the coolest genre references and stuff were stuff they were saving for the second half of the game. Yeah. Um, so I ended up, like, being really charmed by certain points of Evil Land 2 in the second half of it. Right. Uh, and honestly... I'm not sure how much of that is Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I like, because for a while the game just felt like incredibly mediocre, but I, it, it does, it has a lot of great ideas. It does a lot of stuff that I really liked and I really appreciate that they tried, but nearly everything that they do try up to a certain point either is done unsuccessfully or is done successfully at first, but overstays its welcome. Yes. Like they do it for too long and then I'm uninterested and I want to go back <laughs> to what it was before. Right. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. It's about 15 hours long, I think. Mm -hmm. Like 15 to 20 hours long. And I think if it were half that long, my opinion of this game would have been much more positive. Okay. But I don't hate it either. Right. And we can, I think we can go into more detail now. Okay. So, if you guys... <laughs> If this got you really excited to play Evil Land 2, um, and you don't want any spoilers, um, I there are timestamps in the description of this episode, and you can skip ahead. 
Yeah. Um, and one thing I will say about this game is that whatever I may think of the plot, there is a long and fairly involved plot, and there's definitely things that can be spoiled. Yeah, like, no, there... there's some stuff that you will be disappointed to find out about if you haven't played the game. Yes, uh, there there are some pretty like big twists, like some yeah. su- like uh, some surprising major story elements that they tried, and it's uh, it's definitely not. Not as simple of a story as it could have been, and maybe not as simple of a story as, as maybe maybe more complex of a story than it should have been. Yes, uh, Def- definitely a similar feeling to when the Sonic franchise went from like silent characters doing goofy things to like Sonic O six when Sonic is like in love with a human woman and, all <laughs> and like the stuff. apocalypse is happening. Yeah, it's like could we scale this back a little bit? Like that's kind of the Evil Land two feeling. <laughs> Uh, oh, we're already being mean to this game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll we'll start talking the more in-depth stuff now. Yes. Um, so generally we like to start with like the story and the narrative and stuff, but I think I think the story and the narrative actually are not necessarily the most important part of Evo Land 2. Yeah, I agree. So with that. I think what I want to talk about first is the presentation of the game. Because I think this is one of the things that the game does does a surprisingly cool job with. Mm-hmm. But also does some things that frustrated me. The whole visual conceit of the game, the the way they render each era, the sort of the the eight bit style, the sixteen bit style, and the thirty two bit style, uh, those are all done pretty well. Mm-hmm. I think the the sprite styles at least are all pretty authentic, pretty distinct from each other. Yeah, and I think have cool visual identities, which I appreciated. One thing that I found kind of interesting is that. I was kind of trying to place each sprite style. Yeah. And what's funny is that they don't really fit on, like, any particular console. Right. Like, the 8-bit style is a little too good for NES or GBA, but it's not quite good enough, or a little too good for NES and Game Boy. Right. Not quite good enough for GBA. Yeah. And then you have the kind of middle style that is a little bit too good for GBA, but you could do more stuff with it on your Nintendo DS, for instance. Right, yeah. Uh, so they're kind of in the middle. Yeah, in a exactly. It's kind of interesting. And the 32-bit stuff, like, it's a little too crisp, a little too clean for N64, uh-huh. but you know the GameCube can do fucking better than that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Uh, but it does successfully, I think, induce memories of those generations. For sure, That, yeah. that it's trying to invoke memories of. Uh, so I think it does a cool job there. One thing that... Uh, also, I think the music is generally pretty good. I liked a lot of the compositions. They were solid. There's some earworms in there. Yeah. I'm thinking about the world map theme right now. World map theme is good. Yeah. Especially near the end of the game. Like, like for example, like the boss battle theme is fine, Mm -hmm. but then there's remixes of the boss battle theme near the end of the game that are actually like dope as hell. Yeah. Yeah. However, one of the biggest things that bugged me about this game on the presentation scale is that... You start in the 16-bit era, right? Mm-hmm. And the first thing that happens, the first John, the first uh, era change, the first like graphical change in the story is you move back in time. You go back right. in time to the 8-bit setting during the Demon War. And when you go back in time, the graphics are different, but the music is the same, <laughs> yes. right? Like the the music is consistently like I I don't know, kind of. Uh, what 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 kind of like sound font do you think that it's using? It's like it's obviously better than Anvil Studio. Um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I would say that the the synth quality is uh, probably like GBA or maybe DS. You know, yeah. that's kind of the feeling that I got. Yeah. Um. So when you went back in time to the eight bit era, 
like you'd expect, you would hope that the music kind of changes mm-hmm. uh, to like you know sort of like an N- NES sound font, right? Like right. suddenly, like everything sounds more beepy and boopy, you know. <laughs> um, but that does not happen, and this is especially a disappointment because in Evil Land One, like the music starts like all NES style ah. and beepy and boopy, and then when the graphics change, you also get a power up that changes the music ah, to be more like synthetic cool. and stuff, right? So when the graphics changed and the music didn't, like, that bothered me so much, like, just playing through with, like, the exact same sound font. Funnily enough, I don't think I would have noticed that if you hadn't pointed it out, but one thing I did find really jarring is you go back into 8-Bit Land, and you're there with your party member, Fina, and she turns to you and she's like, Kuro, what's going on? And the text box is still 16-bit? Yes. That that, bugged the shit out of me. That is weird, and also, like, the fact that, like, um, in the 16-bit era, you're... Every, like, main character that you talk to has, like, a character portrait that's rendered in kind of a 16-bit style. Mm Mm-hmm. The character portrait stays the same while you're in 8-bit land. It stays the same while you're yeah. in 32-bit land. <laughs> that is so, so disappointing. Like, I love the concept that they're going for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the like sort of the changing graphical styles. They really need, like, it's so funny that they actually committed to this shtick a bit less than they did in their first game. Yeah. They really should have gone the whole mile. They should have changed the music when you changed eras. Mm-hmm. The way that the music sounds at default really should have been the music for the 32-bit era. And you should have had music that sounded like it was coming out of a Super Nintendo for the 16-bit <laughs> right. era. And music that sounded like it was coming out of an NES for the 8-bit era. No, I, actually, I actually kind of wonder if maybe, like, they had trouble re- replicating those sounds legally, you know? Mm. Like, I wonder if the Super Nintendo and and NES, like, sound fonts have, like, trademarks on them, so they would have to make those kind of sound fonts from scratch. Right. And I wonder if that just was not in their skill set or their wheelhouse. Uh, I can tell you that knowing what I know about soft synths and making music with a computer, right? Um, you know, I can definitely see them having legal trouble if they just, like, ripped a sound font from an NES game. Right. But it is fairly easy to make kind of NES-sounding synths. Okay. It doesn't take a lot of effort. Okay. Um, so I definitely get the sense that, you know, maybe the composer kind of made all of these, like, pseudo 32-bit songs and then was like, we're done, right? Yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Um, hmm. One thing that I found kind of interesting is that there's a point where you go kind of way back in time yes. briefly yes. Uh, to this kind of Game Boy aesthetic. Yeah, like 4-bit, basically. Right. Yeah. And in that case, they do change the music. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and I was just sitting there watching that thinking, like, why couldn't we have done this the whole time? <laughs> yeah, what's funny there especially is that the music, the graphical style looks like a Game Boy, right? right. It's like black and it's black and white. It's actually got kind of that green tint to it like the Game Boy does. Mm-hmm. And like the sprites and stuff are even like more like behind than like the NES was. Right. I think the, the font box still says the same though. <laughs> um, I think you're right. Yeah. And the music finally does change and you get to hear like these more bitty remixes of tunes that you've heard in the past, which is cool. Yeah. But the sound font is not like a Game Boy sound font. It's more like an NES sound font. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like something you'd hear out of an NES and not like the really crisp, like limited mm-hmm. uh music that you would hear from a Game Boy. Oh, so sure. like that the, like when I got there, I was like, oh finally. Oh man. Like I was disappointed <laughs> again. Um so like it's it's funny how faithful the game could be sometimes mm-hmm. and how faithful it wasn't at other times. It's also 
you know, when, when you kind of initially go to the 3D world, right? Like the yeah. far future, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of jarring in almost the opposite way. Right. Like, cause I'm kind of running around. I go into this first dungeon. What a, what a shitty nightmare of a dungeon that was. By <laughs> it the was way. so long. Yeah. Uh, and I notice, like, oh, I'm swinging my sword, and it's the 16-bit sound effects. <laughs> like, they didn't upscale it enough. Yeah. Oh, man. Just a mess. Yeah, like, uh, again, like, great concept, poor execution. Yes, uh, yes. That's, that's kind of, I think, something you can just slap on the box for Evo <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, the, when they're doing, like, reviews, you know? Yeah. Like, on the back, it'd be like, great concept, poor execution, 7 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Buy this game now! Yeah, I, uh... <laughs> yeah, Max and I, in, previ- in previous episodes of Play This... Ended up talking a lot about Psychonauts, mm-hmm. a game with a great story and uh, kind of just poorly done everything else, yeah. especially like the mechanics and all that. And I, I, I ended up drawing a lot of parallels, mm-hmm. like when I was playing through Evil Land Two. I think Evil Land Two, uh, to be fair, is actually a better built game on a technical level than Psychonauts is. Yeah, certainly more of a pleasure to play. Yeah, uh, Psychonauts was just like glitched nightmare hell. Um, <laughs> And Evil Land 2 definitely, like, had a stronger base. The The programming had more of its shit together, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and the physics and stuff were more consistent than Psychonauts were. Yes. But, yeah, there, there were a lot of times where it's like, oh, I love the idea that you had here, but you did it wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and ultimately, like, yeah, the presentation was so promising, but it kind of falls apart for some very small reasons. Especially, like, for someone that has experienced all these eras of video game history firsthand right. like you and I have. And I in particular am kind of a stickler for details like that. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that was uh that was that was cool, but uh but I guess I'd recommend turning your brain off for, for parts <laughs> of it to appreciate that presentation more. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good way to put it. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about the the presentation, the visuals, or the music? Um, I think we covered it pretty well. Uh, I guess one thing that I'll just note, I already mentioned this, you know, when we were doing the general impressions, but I missed out on some of the presentation during the 3D segments right. because there were just problems. Like yeah. There were, uh, now, you know, obviously part of this or maybe the extent to which I was having these problems could be that I was playing it on an older tablet. Yeah. But I did kind of look up at one point, like, you know, Evo Land 2 graphical glitches or something like that. Right. And a lot of people were having issues with textures not loading. They were having that problem on the computer. They were having that problem on their phones. So at at the very least, I can say that I was not alone in experiencing that frustrating aspect. I I should say that I did not have those problems personally, that uh, that the textures loaded consistently for me. The game looked pretty good. Right. Although... When it got to the 3D segments, which again were not very dim- like, which were not very graphically, uh, or should not have been. Yeah, they, you know these the 3D segments are not very graphically impressive, yeah. right? Like my computer when when I got to the 3D segment for the first time, my fans on my computer turned on <laughs> like they were trying to run Witcher three. Right, right. right. <laughs> like clearly, some optimization issues maybe were happening there. Yeah. yeah. I guess one last thing I should say on a positive note is that there's a few, like, at the beginning and the end specifically, there are, like, some uh, cutscenes, some some drawn-out, slightly animated segments of the right. game that actually look really nice. Yes, yes, they do. That's true. Yeah, they look really cool. Actually, they look cool enough that it's kind of surprising that there's no voice acting in this game. Yeah. 
um, besides like some yells and grunts and stuff. Right. It's fine that they didn't, but it would have been actually, it would have been kind of funny and interesting if as part of their, their take, part of their riffs on game evolution, there was a point where like, you just see like, <laughs> like an FMV with voice acting or That'd something. That'd be really you know? funny. Yeah. So much wasted potential. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. So I guess we can move on to game design from here. Sure. Which, uh, which I think we've, we've touched on and in, mm-hmm. in places here and there. It's it's really interesting to try to talk game design, I guess, for this game because so many different games have been designed yeah. and sort of crammed into this package. There's a way, in a sense, that you're talking about the design of several games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it almost works. I guess um, maybe one thing that we could do, if you're interested, is would you like to talk about kind of some of your favorite uh, genre shifts and maybe some of your least favorite and why they worked and why they didn't. Yeah, I th- I think that's a cool way to do it. Hmm. The Base Bones of Everything was uh, was sort of this top-down Zelda-style, like, sort of Link to the Past-esque gameplay. Right. Where you're, uh, where you're slashing your sword. Um, and it sort of adds this, this mechanic that I liked where you have one of several partner characters... If you hold on the attack button and release at a certain point, your partner character will jump out and do a special move. And eventually you can sort of upgrade your partner characters. Right. So you can hold on the button, button longer to do higher level versions of those attacks. So like uh, you got this you got this big demon guy, Menos, who initially like jumps down and like sort of punches the floor and causes an explosion around him. Eventually, like you can level him up and the explosion gets bigger. Right. And uh and then if you unlock his third level beyond that, he actually just, like, summons, like, an Ifrit-esque, like, <laughs> monster, basically. I didn't see that in my yeah. playthrough. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. But, uh, but yeah, like, that that base gameplay, like, basically, like, as you started unlocking, like, like your partner's abilities and stuff, mm-hmm. um, like, there's Velvet, sort of this nerdy girl who, like, can shoot out ice and freeze objects. She was my favorite, yeah. by the way. And there's, there's Fien. Fina. Fina. Right, I... You can name your own character, and when I named Fina, I just deleted the A and press <laughs> confirm. So her name was Finn in my game. Good. Um, but yeah, and there's Fina who like shoots uh, shoots out gusts of wind and can sort of like hit switches from far away and stuff. Right. Like yeah, that was fine. But the genres that I I liked it being switched to most, I think one of my favorites was the tactics segment of the game. That was cool. Where it sort of becomes a turn based strategy game, and your partner character's abilities sort of like change to fit this tactics right. thing now so like now uh menos and and fina and velvet are all their own characters on the map that you can move around you can use menos uh to his special ability now is like he basically has an area of effect attack that just like covers right. a certain amount of spaces around him fina, fina's attack is now like you can shoot like a rectangles amount of space ahead of you mm-hmm. and uh and velvet can sort of just like freeze everyone in kind of like a cone shape ahead of her right um and you also got like this this character Dalkin, sort of the general character that joined you for the tactics segment who uh who could protect anyone like in a in like a a, a box yeah kind of like a radius a, around him yeah around him and that all like combined to make for some like some nice fun like tactics yeah battles you know there was one level of that segment uh this this whole segment was basically like 
uh, you were in the past and, uh, and this evil wizard basically like, uh, did a coup against, against the military. Uh, he, he rounded up all the demons and forced them to work for him basically. So Dalkin, the member of the human army wants to defeat the wizard and maybe help you like unenslave these demons that the right. wizard has enslaved. Um, and so there's there's a part where you're fighting some enslaved demons, and uh, you can walk Menos's character up to one of the demons and recruit, like, have him talk to that demon <laughs> and recruit that demon over to your side, like in Fire Emblem. That's cool. And that was a that was a cute little that that only happened for one specific character, but it was still neat. Mm-hmm. And that unit was really strong, so it was like a nice reward. <laughs> it was a nice thing to do. Yeah, I I enjoyed that part a lot. Um, and then actually at the end of that segment, uh, the boss battle against the wizard is a, is a rhythm game. It's yeah. a dance dance revolution style rhythm game. And that was, that was fun. That was neat. And the music for it was really good, mm-hmm. but I kept forgetting which button was which character because right. each character was tied to a button and it sort of, it sort of, uh, it sort of indicated which button, like as a little graphic underneath that character, but like. Since I was busy looking at the arrows, <laughs> sometimes I wouldn't have the time to look down underneath the character to see which button right. uh, they were assigned to. So I I managed to beat it on my first try, but I messed that up a lot. Fair. An- another instance of cool idea, bad execution. Yes. Uh, do you have what f- what favorite genre things do you have? Sure. Uh, so this was a kind of relatively short genre shift. Right. But there's this really great rooftop chase sequence oh. where uh you're kind of fighting, yeah. you know, you're fighting like this demon henchman and she runs off and you have to follow her. And the game becomes an endless runner for a bit. Yeah, exactly. And uh I wound up having a really good time with that. I think in part because it was uh deceptively easy to do on a tablet. Oh nice. Like you don't I realized very quickly, like, oh, I don't actually have to kill her during this part. Right. You know, I just kind of have to keep up with her and dodge her attacks. Right. And so it was a lot of me just kind of getting into the right position, jumping when I need needed to, and then you you'll occasionally be like running toward an obstacle like a box or something, and I have to very quickly like hack at it with your sword to destroy it. Yeah. Um, and that just felt very kinetic and fun. And I think that, uh, it's one of those rare moments where the platforming physics serve the game well instead yeah. of hindering it. And I just had a really good time with that part. I thought that was really fun. That's great. Yeah. And, and I agree that that, that part was pretty fun. I also like the, uh, there's a part where you fight like this character named the prophet ah, yeah. and like he comically like gets a big bulging muscles and it turns into a fighting game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I both liked and didn't like that part. Ooh, uh, I, I had trouble with that, but you go first. <laughs> yeah. Like it became like sort of a street fighter style fighting game. And it was, it, I actually, one part I, one thing I really enjoyed was that basically the game does not like, tell you anything about that it just sort of throws you into a fighting game segment Mm -hmm. and you know suddenly you can only move back and forth and you can you can attack with your attack button you can jump with your jump button or no you can you have like you have a punch attack and you have a kick attack right right and because i'm used to playing fighting games i inputted the special attack motions for (laughs) ryu from street fighter right and the player character used ryu's special moves he threw out a fireball Mm -hmm. like ryu does when you do quarter circle forward punch he does like the spinning kick thing if you do quarter circle backward kick. Right. And if your super meter is full and you fucking do quarter circle forward, quarter circle forward punch, he shoots forward a laser beam that does a lot of damage. And that move was a bitch to get out. Yeah, you know what? I um 
obviously like it's four times harder to do those inputs on a tablet right so i was having a lot of trouble getting the inputs in and i actually won mostly by like jump kicking and sliding yeah however i would sometimes accidentally get the super move off by just mashing kick over and over again and not doing any directional inputs (laughs) i have no idea why that worked but if it was like okay like you know we're we're even health if i can get the super move off i'm gonna die and just like hit it really quickly <laughs> and like oh okay that works don't know why cool profit's dead <laughs> um uh that was also one of the one of the segments to sort of overstate its welcome mm-hmm. um where like you you beat the bad you beat him in the fighting game mode it's like okay cool that was a two round fight i understand that you guys did the fighting game genre great let's move on right and then like he gets up and like supercharges yeah and you have to fight him in another two round fight <laughs> and it's like the fighting game mechanics that you've given me are not fun enough to do this again. Yeah. But then I had to do it again. And that's, that's kind of like a lot of, uh, a lot of segments. Like one of the first genre changes that I had fun with was like this top down shooter segment where mm-hmm. you get, where you get like this flying motorbike and right. and you, uh, and you're, you're flying through these levels, like top down, uh, sort of reminiscent of games like, uh, 1942. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and those those kinds of games where the enemies are sort of flying in waves towards you and you shoot the bullets at them. Um, and you get to use your your special moves by <laughs> holding down the buttons, which is cool. And I was like, oh, this is really neat. And then I had to do like three levels of that yeah. in a row, each with their own like pretty difficult bosses. That took fucking forever. Yeah, no, that that was like with with my deaths, that was like 45 minutes on that part alone. You know, I'm I'm a guy who enjoys a good top-down shmup, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I like the Raiden franchise. I've got Don Maku on my phone. You know, I bust that out every now and again. Right. Um, And so that game for me was definitely uh, the first of a series of problems that I had like this where I appreciated what they were trying to do, but it didn't feel enough like the kind of game that I like that I wound up enjoying it. Right. Like the way that you move just felt a little bit off. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in a lot of games like this, you your weapon is kind of firing out in a much broader arc and you're able to kill more enemies more quickly. There was definitely, like, a lot of my frustration with the way they implemented this in Evil Land 2 was like, oh my god, I've got this tiny little beam and there's like 50 things on the screen. <laughs> can we please just get this over with? Right. Know, it's taking way too long. And you can, like, upgrade your beam until you do this spread shot thing, but it kind of lasts for a limited time. Right, yeah. And so I would get that and just be frantically like, oh, God, I got to kill stuff while this is fun. Oh, please. Oh, no, it's gone. Oh, shit. Ah, we're back to this again. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that was, that that segment was uh, kind of entertaining, but definitely more frustrating for me than entertaining. Yeah, that's fair. I actually, I one thing you said off camera that was really interesting is that like a lot of the genre changes in this game are like they're just like at this exact level of good where like you're it's not making the game worse but you wish that you were playing the the a different game yes. that's actually part of the genre that it's riffing on no exactly like if i was enjoying uh a genre shift it was like well, this is fun, but I'd rather be playing whatever. Yeah. Like the, the Bomberman one. There's a oh, very yeah. lengthy segment. Oh, God, there's a really <laughs> long Bomberman segment. Where you're kind of going through a mine, and it's just Bomberman. Yeah. Like, it is so transparently Bomberman that I can't believe that, you know, yeah. uh, the lawyers for... Uh, who owns Bomberman? Is it Konami now? Konami. I can't believe Konami wasn't like, um, excuse me, 
<laughs> uh, man, sidebar, it's amazing that these guys haven't been sued. It's wild. Like, yeah. because um, not not only are there a lot of, like, cheeky references to games, like, I th- I think all of that is like, oh, these are parody, this is references. Mm-hmm. But, like, there are literally, like, copyrighted characters in this game. <laughs> like, there's there's a segment where, like, you're in this forest and there are, like, characters waiting in a line to get advice about their respective video games right and they are like you f- from behind you see like ryu from street fighter mm-hmm. uh, link i think yeah, right? yeah yeah link you see uh you see sora from kingdom hearts yeah just standing there clearly them there's uh there's a shop you go into and fucking the high rulian shield from legend of zelda is just there <laughs> next to captain america's shield yeah uh there there's like a village and you see like basically like sort of uh, 16-bit rendered sprites of, like, Ness and Lucas from the Mother series. Right. Uh, you just see... Oh, no, this is the this is the 3D setting, actually. You oh, see yeah, 3D yeah. sprites of Ness and Lucas from Earthbound and Mother 3. You see, uh, uh, you, you see just the guy from Harvest Moon mm-hmm. just rendered in 3D. Sakura from Street Fighter is rendered as a little kid. Yeah. Some of these characters are literally just, like, copy-paste of their designs into this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, like high base of like copyrighted material, and like maybe none of these video game companies noticed. Maybe maybe they're like, you know what this this is a small game. It's not really worth the effort to sue these people. Right. Uh, but it's it's so strange because I I feel like they 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 put this in a commercial game and they did it in a way where it's not exactly fair use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like like putting Captain America's shield in a game is not like parody. That's right. just that's just Captain America's shield there. Yeah, I mean um, Disney in particular, you know, they're so litigious that yeah. it blows my mind that nobody has yeah. you know contacted them about that in particular. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that yeah. these yeah. that these guys haven't been uh sued and lost or, or C&D or whatever. Yeah, and, and lost all of their money. Like I'm I'm glad that this didn't have to happen to these people, mm-hmm. but uh but I'm surprised that it hasn't happened. Me too. Um, um, but but jumping back to the Bomberman segment in particular. Right, yes. Uh, I am also a big Bomberman fan. I love Bomberman. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I've been playing Bomberman since Mega Bomberman for the Sega Genesis. Love right. the 64 games. Um, and it, precisely because I have so much experience playing Bomberman, when I got to that segment, it was like, oh, this is cute, but this doesn't feel like Bomberman. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. There's just something off that makes this less fun. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's this issue where if the game is doing a genre you like, yeah. that's fine, but it's not as good as you'd like it to be. Yeah. And if it's doing a genre you don't like, then it's just like, I don't want to deal with this, and I wish it wasn't here. Yeah. Oh, great transition. <laughs> The Professor Layden parts of the oh, game. Oh, fuck that shit. <laughs> that was terrible. I mean, like, you you can't, like, I'm fine with puzzles in video games. <laughs> you know? Like, you, puzzles in video games don't necessarily bother me. You, you had to call yourself down for, like, a full 10 seconds. A little sec. bit. Yeah. Just because you, if you cannot adequately explain a puzzle in a video game 
to the average player who's going to be completing it, you shouldn't include that puzzle in the game. Yeah. Like, some of those puzzles were fine. Some yes. some of them I got on the first try. Right. Some of them were like, this is a little obtuse, but okay, whatever. Yeah. There was one in particular about, like, guards occupying garrisons, and they yeah. can't go to the same garrison, where there just wasn't enough of an explanation, and I was yeah. just sitting there like, I have no idea what you want me to do. Yeah, and to give, uh, to give listeners some context, there's a part of the game... Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with Professor Layden, oh, yes. uh, where characters are like, hey, I have this puzzle. Can you solve it for me? Right. And then it like transitions into like sort of this mind game, this sort of <laughs> this uh, this sort of puzzle that you have to solve, yeah. uh, which is basically the gameplay Professor Layden. It's just you like uh, solving a bunch of puzzles for townspeople. And uh, I don't remember having too much trouble with the garrison one. I had no idea what they wanted. Uh, I was, like, tracing it with my finger and, like, uh, oh, maybe you have to do this. And I wound up just selecting every possible answer until (laughs) one of them worked. There was was one puzzle that I just got stuck on because they described the puzzle wrong. Yeah. Uh, And that was, like... uh, that that was like here's a a map of stars <laughs> the the yeah. a comet will pass through a place where uh the a place where two stars will meet but not before they clash with another star right. and and like the way they described it I'm like okay cool I'm I'm looking at various places where two stars are equidistant from each other and picking the spot in the middle right. and and basically it ended up being it's like Eventually, like, I looked it up because I tried so many things and got it wrong. And and then someone was like, uh, no, what you actually have to do is find two lines mm-hmm. on the map where no stars are on it at all. <laughs> right. I, uh, after I finished, you know, experiencing the game, I looked up reviews of it. Yeah. It's like a 7 out of 10 on Metacritic, by the oh, way. Basically. Okay. It's like right around there. Okay. But uh, in one lower review that I found, <laughs> the guy was really funny. Uh, was talking about that puzzle in particular uh-huh. and just talking about how frustrated he was. And at one point he said, like, you know, you have to solve this puzzle with spatial skills that I just don't have. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's okay, guy. You have the skills. <laughs> what Evil Land 2 doesn't have is a good explanation of how these puzzles work. Yeah, exactly. Funnily enough, the the stars one, I figured out what they meant okay. somehow. Okay. Um, but I don't think that it was because it was explained well. Yeah. You know, it obviously was not. there were yeah, there were I people say who that had it some trouble. Yeah. I, I thought the Professor Layden puzzle thing was cute because, like, after you beat the puzzle, it plays that little animation that's mm-hmm. very reminiscent of Professor Layden where, like, the character has, like, <laughs> he, he, like, you know, has his hand on his chin, like, hmm, and then, like, he, he figures it out and he sort of points at the screen dramatically. Yeah. That was cute. I liked that. That was fine. Um, but uh, actually solving the puzzles... 50% of the time was just kind of garbage. That was definitely my least favorite part of the entire game. Would you say it's less of your favorite than the 2D platforming segments? Um, Those weren't great. Okay. But <laughs> I, I've, I've already had this discussion with you outside of the pod. Right. But, you know, I am not a violent gamer, right? <laughs> like, I, um, when I was a kid, I had... A dentist that I would go to in the dental tech would always ask me what video games I was playing because, you know, I was about to have holes drilled in my mouth or whatever. Right. Uh, kind of calm me down a little bit. And she and I would say, like, oh, I'm playing Star Fox 64, for instance. She would say, oh, my 
my husband gets so mad at that game that he throws the controller. Like I've never thrown a controller in my life, you know, like I don't really have those tendencies at all. Right. Um, those platforming segments made me so mad that I wanted to walk to the window, open it up and chuck my tablet out like a Frisbee. (laughs) Like, Oh, they made me so mad. Um, and I think, uh, in particular, like, I mean, you know, first of all, obviously, because it's this kind of half genre thing that they do in Evo Land 2, mm-hmm. you know, these sort of the physics of it and the design of it aren't quite as good as they'd be in like your Mario or whatever. Right, right. On top of that, doing it with a tablet was just, again, yeah. way harder than it needed to be. Yeah, no, there, oh, there, there are some parts of the game that require some very precise platforming. Yeah. And, uh... The game isn't really equipped to support that very well. No, not at all. Uh, like, there's parts where it's like, yeah, jump to, like, j- jump to this one, like, the single <laughs> panel on the right. floor that's surrounded by spikes that will kill you instantly. Right, or like, jump high with this bouncy mushroom, but not so high that you hit the spikes on the ceiling. Yeah. And then also move forward in such a way that you don't hit the spikes on the ground so that you can land on this single platform and then jump again before it falls like <laughs> it's like donkey kong shit yeah but without the kind of finesse that you have when you're playing donkey kong yeah it's like it's like donkey kong but you you're controlling link in zelda 2 like it's yeah. just maddening <laughs> um i think that, I, that, that I, that's a good visual actually i like that Go um on. i do think that um I think that I found the Professor Layton stuff more frustrating because with the platforming, it was like, okay, this is really hard, but I can do it. Right. You know, like, like clearly this is possible. Yeah. Some of the Layton stuff, I was just like, 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 I'm not going to be able to progress unless I select all of these 23 possible answers or I look up a guide. Right. Like, just because I don't understand how they want me to solve this puzzle. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think we've covered a lot of the genre stuff, actually, just in like... A fair bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one more notable one that I want to bring up is there's uh, there's a part where you uh, you sort of play a puzzle quest. Mm-hmm. Like, that's more of a traditional, like, video gamey kind of puzzle game where you're mashing color tiles together. And, and uh, in this specific version of it, sort of like, as you match the tiles, you, you get enough resources for powers that you can spend right. to use against your opponents. And I like I I thought like that was fairly well built and I was enjoying it at some level. I didn't enjoy having to do it uh, six to eight times, um, <laughs> right? Which which again is kind of the whole like like <laughs> even when they do something that's fun, they they make you do it for so long it's not fun when you're done anymore. Yeah, that's the general vibe I got from the game design in general. Like things are either just bad or they're enjoyable. But they overstay their welcome. Yeah, I think that's that's very accurate. Yeah. So I think the last major part uh, to discuss is the game's narrative. Mm-hmm. Kind of save that part for last. But I, I think they still did interesting things with the narrative. Yeah. Um, one thing I wasn't expecting from this game to sort of address the conventions of time travel and sort of <laughs> play with those concepts. Yeah, no, same. Um, there's a few major twists in the game. and And one of the major ones being that, like, uh, at one point, you oh, here's a genre we did. We didn't talk about like the Chrono Trigger style RPG battles. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, those yeah those, those were all right. They were fine. I I, I generally like the tactics stuff more. Uh yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that was better uh, executed. Yeah, but like you you go into like this time traveling like professor's lab at one point 
right? You're you're trying to stop the great disaster. The the great disaster happens because there's a weapon in this laboratory that gets activated, and you go down there to stop the doctor uh, to to destroy the weapon. No one knows where the doctor is. The the evil professor th- that activated this weapon, right? Jiro or Jiro or yeah, something like yeah, that. Do- yeah, yeah, Doctor Jiro. You go down to stop Doctor Jiro, and he's not there. Some people try to stop you, and like your supporting cast is like arguing with those people, and then the player character suddenly gets a headache, and like he, your character is an amnesiac or is assumed to be an an amnesiac, and your character suddenly remembers something and activates the weapon that destroys like destroys like a big chunk of civilization, and you, your player character, causes the great disaster. And, uh, and, you know, like, it ba- basically, like, it never explicitly says this, but it turns out that, like, your player character at one point was Dr. Jiro. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like, and you can kind of tell because, like, there's sort of, like, these hollow pods that have, like, video recordings of the professor, of Dr. Jiro, mm-hmm. and it clearly, like looks like the player character <laughs> with a spooky mask and his hair spiked up. Right. And like, you know, there's points where like you go, uh, go in front of a computer panel and the computer panel is like, hello, Dr. Jiro. <laughs> and it's clearly cause it, it identifies you as Dr. Jiro. And basically like, there's kind of this whole overarching story where at one point in the far past, you were recruited by this group called the Magi, these people that invented time travel right. and, uh, and found a way to sort of encase time in a bubble you are recruited to sort of stabilize time and you are sent forward in time. And in that time period, you become Dr. Jiro. Right. And then, uh, and then after that, uh, you wipe your own memory or something and you wake up as this hero who does all this stuff to sort of both stop time from ending, but also cause these cataclysmic events. (laughs) And, uh, and really what you end up doing in the grand scheme of things is, um, you create a stable time loop. Mm-hmm. Um, the game ends with you not preventing any of the things that you want to prevent, uh, but also not destroying the fabric of space time, like it's implied would happen if none of these cataclysmic events happened. Right. Um, there's this major character called Ceres who is half demon, half human, and apparently at some point she was captured by Doctor Jiro, and her powers were used to create the weapon. Right. So she sort of realizes that there's a time loop, and she wants to destroy time itself, and she's the final boss of the game. Yeah. Which, like, it actually took me longer than it probably should have to figure out that she was going to be sort of the prime antagonist that you defeat. Right. But when it happened, I was like, okay, that's not surprising at all. Right, yeah, that's <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. And actually, her final boss battle was one of the cooler parts of the game. That was neat. And it's funny because we talk so much about how, like, everything, like, takes too long in this game. Mm-hmm. Sarah, the final battle against Sarah's felt too short. It felt like there should have been one more phase. Yeah, exactly. There were three phases, and they were all cool. Like, first is, like, you know, like a 2D Zelda phase where you're you're slashing her, and um, you get a new power to sort of slow time down, which is cool. Yeah. And that's that's the reason it felt like that was one part of the game that should have been longer, because you get this brand new power, and mm-hmm. you use it for, like, ten minutes, and then the game's <laughs> over. Right, right. Um. And yeah, like it's it starts like sort of top down Zelda. Then it becomes like a like a platform where you're jumping up these platforms and slashing her that way. Then finally becomes like a side scrolling like space shooter where you're where you're shooting her. Yeah. And uh, and then and then, and then the final cutscene plays and the game ends. Uh, the ending is is the time loop starting over. Like 
you're absent for a long time. Fina waits for you forever. Mm-hmm. She finally like finds you by like busting into a lab and like opening up a panel right. or whatever. Um, like your your other two partners, uh, Menos and Velvet, sort of go off and leave together, and it's kind of implied that they eventually that they are Ceres's parents and right. then they get together off camera. And uh and then like the last scene of the game is uh the scene at the beginning of the game where you wake up in Fina's bed mm-hmm. and uh and she takes you to the forest to help you get your memory back. Uh it ends with the same scene that it started with and sort of establishes that the game is a time loop. Yeah. And uh it, the story does some neat things. No, I uh I th- I think that I get the sense that they were sort of making things up as they went along a little bit. Yeah. Um. And definitely the longer the story goes on, the more I was invested in it. Yeah. I think that in particular toward the beginning, kind of there's a lot of sort of very on the nose humor. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just a lot of stuff that made it difficult for me to get kind of into the story. Right. I think probably the first time that I felt a little hooked is when you recruit Menos as a party member. You <laughs> yeah. you do that during an arena segment, uh, which I didn't really enjoy in terms of gameplay. Right. Like uh, the sort of host of the arena kicks Fina out of your party, so all you can do is slash with your sword. Oh, that's Which is just, al- it's always stupid when a game takes away your powers uh, yeah. in a way that, like doesn't feel compelling or meaningful yeah exactly it just felt like they did that because the arena segment would have been too easy with fina on your team right so now it's just more tedious because she's not there yeah um but anyway you uh at the beginning of this segment you can choose kind of a nickname like an arena moniker that you use yeah and they're all thinly veiled references to video games right and the one that i chose was solid snail because i love uh metal gear solid right and i picked super morio because that was just <laughs> stupid and uh so after you defeat menos he then proceeds to call you whatever you chose for the rest of the game. So there'd <laughs> yeah. be all these like serious parts of the game. And he'd be like, solid snail. I don't know if we should slaughter these civilians. <laughs> yeah. Like, Sol- all right, yeah. man. Solid snail. I am hungry. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, oh, it was, it was really good. Yeah. Super Mario. Right. What do we do? Yeah. That was, that was just genius. Yeah. Uh, and there's definitely an extent to which, at least as far as characterization is concerned, it was kind of uphill from there. Like, yeah. I got more attached to Fina as time went on, and I learned more about her. Yeah, yeah. And then Velvet shows up, and she's just great. Yes. Um, I was really, really fond of her. Yeah, just like a scholar, genius character. You're kind of a sucker for that archetype in general. I do enjoy that. I was yeah. a big Luca fan in the days of Chrono Trigger. Who, who she very much felt like a... Like uh, when you're copying your friend's homework and you change just enough so it doesn't look like you're copying <laughs> yeah, your homework. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she, she was. Yeah, she was kind of like that for Luca. Like, yeah, yeah. She was for sure, but I didn't mind too much. That's fair. Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, I think that the narrative gets stronger the longer it goes on. Yeah. But it also goes on too long. Yes. And really, I th- I find myself kind of un- like it's r- like again really cool concept to make a story about a about a time loop. Yeah. But like. But, like, I beat the game, like, it started with a time loop again, and I'm like, oh, I got the bad ending. Because, <laughs> like, there's no real sense of closure. Like, no. it literally, like, the game, the ending of the game is literally, this is going to happen over and over again. Right. Uh, for the, for infinity. It's going to happen for eternity. You you don't, 
change anything because this is the way things always were and that's the way things are always going to be that's a fucking like heavy ass art movie that's not right. a video game where you're jumping on one, on mushrooms and shit one thing that i do kind of appreciate is that you know a lot of the game is centered around this debate particularly between velvet and minos about whether or not we have free will kind of the free will versus determinism debate yeah that always shows up in a time travel story right? oh yeah no and you know, usually, eventually, free will wins. wins out. Yeah. Um. This... I thought it, I thought it was kind of funny that determinism won. You yeah. know, no, like that's... no, no, no. Like Menos was right that we have no free will. Yeah. Uh... Uh, that was really interesting. But that's like that's what made me think. Oh, I got the bad ending. Right. Like there's a bad ending where determinism wins, and then like if I hundred percent the game or whatever, there's a true ending where free will wins. Mm-hmm. If you hundred percent the game, you get the same ending. <laughs> right. Right. One thing that does change is after the credits. Mm-hmm. You get this kind of panorama, right, of yeah. all of your party members kind of chilling at the beach. Yeah. Which I thought was really cute. Really um, cute, yeah. If you 100% it, Serez is also there. Oh, yeah. okay. Huh. So, that, so that's the thing that you get if you 100% the game. What a shitty reward. <laughs> yeah. Proportionate to the amount of work you have to do for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah God. Like that, like, that would have been like five more hours of gameplay if I wanted to see Serez on the beach. <laughs> right. Wow. Um. That that thing was cute. I, I like how like Menos is like giving Velvet a back rub on the beach. Mm-hmm. That's what made me go, Oh wait, there's a romance between Oh 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 <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. It it really does just kind of sum up the game as a whole where like it tries so many interesting things. It takes a lot of like it takes a surprising amount of risks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and I always appreciate that when a game does that. Me I too. like like, sorry to Colin that we're shitting on this game a lot, but I don't regret playing this game, and I'm really glad it was recommended to me. I think it tries a lot of interesting things, and although none, uh, not all of them land exactly where they're intended to, uh, I think it was a really interesting experiment to experience. Yes, like, if there is an Evo Land 3... I'll play it probably. I'll at least check it out. Yeah. You know, I'll want to see what they do. Yeah, I'll look at the trailer and right. make my decision after that. Um, their most recent game is this game called Northgard. It's a real-time strategy where you're Vikings. Right. And sp- speaking of derivativeness, yeah. it just it looks a lot like Warcraft 3. <laughs> uh, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, maybe their next game will, will be more <laughs> original. Who knows? Right. Um, I... Um, I think before we wrap this up, there is one last thing that actually is probably my favorite part of the game that I've neglected to mention at all. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, and it's something that Colin mentioned to us when he recommended <laughs> it, which is that there's a surprisingly fun card game yes. in Evil Land. Like the, the game's linear for a while and then it like opens up and becomes nonlinear. Basically, once you cause the great disaster, you sort of get the ability to go to any time you want. Right. And uh, And around when that happens... You get access to a card game. <laughs> um, it takes like some inspiration from stuff like Triple Triad right. in Final Fantasy VIII. And uh, you each have your own 3x3 three three grid mm-hmm. that you put cards on. Or no, you each have your own like 2x3 grid. Yeah. You each have your own 2x3 grid that you put cards on. And then like uh, those cards like clash against each other and do damage to the opponent. And, you know, it, it was a fairly simple card game, but the mechanics had just enough depth that it was a uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, like, a surprisingly entertaining town waster. Yeah, I... Ta- town waster. Time waster. <laughs> yeah, I dunked several hours into the card game and, un- and like, unlocked a bunch of cards. Because, mm-hmm. like, basically whenever you beat any person that could play the card game for the first time, they would 
give you a new card as a reward, which changed your deck. And the one thing that is maybe a bit disappointing is that if you unlock a new card, it's just automatically in your deck. You don't don't get to decide the layout of your deck. So sometimes you get a card that just kind of like makes your deck worse. Right, right. And you're stuck with it. Like, I don't want these bees. I want to use this you know, MS Paint version of a developer that I got that has a lot of attack for some reason. Uh, yeah, oh, that yeah. yeah, that card was great. <laughs> uh, I think that was called, like, the developer art card. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, although I bet they would have to do a lot of balancing if you could just build your own decks and pick the best oh, I'm cards. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that would have been a lot more work for them. For what it was, though, it was pretty fun. Yeah, like, actually, it'd be fun... Like, if what they did next was to make an expanded (laughs) version of that card game, that I would play. No, for sure. I'd give it a shot. Yeah, like, put online multiplayer on it, make a a bigger variety of cards, get get some new abilities in there that the cards can use. Oh, man, I'd play that. Yeah. Give it to me for, like, three bucks, five bucks. I'd spend five bucks on that. Yeah, sure. (laughs) You... You would you would accept a gift from me with that game. I would indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um I guess are there any other like specific aspects of the game that you wanted to talk about? Uh not specifically, no. I think we covered a, a lot of good ground. Yeah, so I, I guess we can wrap it up here and sort of give our final thoughts. Sure. What what are yours? Um I think that Evoland 2 is a very ambitious game and I appreciate a lot of what the developers tried. Yeah. I just wish they'd tried a little harder. <laughs> uh, maybe had less genre shifts that were better executed and more interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily know what uh, the silver bullet is, but um, this is kind of a, it's kind of a husk of a great game. Yeah. And I feel as though if there were a little bit more in there, I could have really liked it, but there wasn't. And ultimately I didn't. Yeah. My final thoughts, I think, are is that Evil Land 2 is 25 shitty games <laughs> that combine to make one okay game. Right. Right? Like, uh, it it tries a lot, and none of, like, none of the shots they're taking are landing in the basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of them, like, sort of uh, swirl around the rim in a cool way <laughs> right. that has you like on the edge of your seat, just waiting for things to get better. And then um, the ball falls out, and the opposing team gets the rebound, drives it all the way down, and <laughs> slam dunks. <laughs> and you're like, "Well, okay, I wish they hadn't done that." <laughs> uh, yeah, I there there were definitely parts of the game that I liked. There were some like some like borderline like genius ideas that this mm-hmm. game had. And they are in, like, all aspects of the game, like the presentation and the story and the gameplay. Like, they're all, like, near moments of brilliance, uh, which makes me glad that I that I got to try this out and yes. play it all the way through. I think if this wasn't recommended to me, I would have stopped at, like, hour two or three and never experienced some of the best things that the game had to offer. Yeah, for sure. But uh, would I recommend this game to anyone? Uh, maybe with a big asterisk slapped yeah. on it. Yeah. Uh, that asterisk being that it's it's not perfect. Some parts of the game are tedious and monotonous, and some dungeons go on for three times as long as they need to. Uh, some of the fun things they try are there for so long that they become less fun. But I think as an overall experience, it's it's kind of worth it. Yeah, uh, it's kind of worth it overall, but there are going to be a lot of individual moments that are frustrating. Yeah, like I'm, I'm glad I experienced this game, 
but I can't say that I enjoyed experiencing all of it, and I can't say that I would want to experience it again. Yeah. Uh, also, I guess, apparently, second asterisk, maybe play it on PC and not on an Android Yes. <laughs> oh, maybe, my God. Yeah, and maybe the iOS version is, like, technically a better product. That is entirely possible. Um, and maybe that's why Colin recommended that version to us. Right. But yeah, apparently, Android version, <laughs> not a great time. Didn't have a great time. Cannot say that I had a great time. Yeah, so I guess I guess that's it. That's that's Evil Land 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, a flawed game with some cool stuff going on. Yes. Um, I feel like I could have made like a dumb pun there. Uh, <laughs> now let's close this time loop and move on to what you're recommending me. Oh, well, that's, that's a good pun. <laughs> that's pretty all right. I was going to say something like, something that's a few bits short of, uh, yeah, you know, like, (laughs) uh, an ambitious game whose princess was in another castle. No, I'm done. I'm done trying this out. (laughs) That was good, though. That was good. Yeah, so so here we are at the end where one of us recommends a game to the other. Yes, uh, and I'm going to not. <laughs> it's Sean's first uh, first seat as our temporary co-host. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I should probably have mentioned that at the beginning that uh, that we're going to do for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, we are going to do rotating temporary co-hosts. Right. Uh, we're starting with Sean. He'll be here for a few episodes before we bring in a new person. Yeah, and. Uh, since it is Sean's first episode as a co-host proper, I will be recommending a game to him. Right. Uh, partially because I haven't gotten to recommend a game to anyone on this podcast <laughs> uh, since Persona 5 wow. on January 1st. That's wild. Yeah. So uh, so the game I'm recommending to you, Sean, mm-hmm. is a game that I think that I think will push a lot of your buttons, and it's a game that you haven't gotten around to yet. That's true. And it's also a game that Max would have gotten mad at me for recommending to him. <laughs> so this works out in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Uh, the game I'm recommending to you is uh, Zero Escape, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, also right. known as 999. Yes. 999 is a game uh, published by Spike Chunsoft. Uh, they do a lot of like cool like RPGs and visual novels and stuff. They're known mm-hmm. for the Dangarampa franchise. And like these roguelikes called Sheer and the Wanderer and stuff, uh, miss the Mystery Dungeon games, right? And the Zero Escape franchise is a trilogy of visual novels that are that are very dark and intense, but also have some very like uh, has some very cool, interesting characters and very very complex uh, intellectual stories okay. and uh, and conflicts. They all sort of tie together. And, you know, the second and third games in particular are much better if you've played the games before them. Okay. But I think 999 also works uh, as its own story. It's sort of a standalone thing okay. that uh, that makes you interested in more. It's a game that has multiple endings. Um, Max played... Uh, Max got one ending <laughs> and then decided that the game wasn't for him. Okay. Um, this is the kind of game where to really see what it has to offer, you've got to get every ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that entire experience is maybe like 
uh, like a 20 hour commitment. Okay. Um, so definitely doable. Cool. And, and yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to experiencing this because I, I, I think there will be things that, that maybe don't light you on fire, but I, I, uh, <laughs> but I do think that there are also several things that are very much your jam. So I'm very interested to see what you think. Cool. Uh, also probably worth noting, like, uh, like the, it's a visual novel game, but the structure also has, uh, like room escape segments, right? right. Uh, like there's several parts where you'll, you'll be locked in a room and you'll have to like solve various in-game puzzles to exit it. And the puzzles are challenging, but they like make a lot more sense than the evil land professor laden puzzles. That's good. And you're a smart dude. So I think, uh, <laughs> um, also I will be recommending specifically the Nonary Games version of the game for the PS4. Right. Uh, this was initially released uh, for the DS. I really liked it on the DS. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the version that Max played, and sort of one of the reasons Max stopped is that uh, it was kind of missing some quality of life enhancements that would have been really nice. Sure. Uh, the PS4 version of the game happens to have those quality of life enhancements. So I think that this will be a much more enjoyable gameplay experience for you. Good. It also has some some visual enhancements and it adds voice acting. Okay. Uh and like, you know, like the character models are now like not sprite based anymore, but they're <laughs> actually like the character art. Ah, nice. And uh there are there are some uh, some changes that people are arguing are not improvements, but mm-hmm. I think largely you're, you'll be playing the definitive version of the game. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to give this game a shot. I have been listening to you and our mutual friend Tommy yammer <laughs> on about the uh, Nonary franchise for a good long time. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Tommy in particular is actually such a fan of these games that he's run multiple tabletop campaigns set in this universe. Yes. In which I've participated. Yeah. Uh, without, so, <laughs> having any... <laughs> without having context of playing any of the games. Uh, actually, I guess I'm kind of glad for once that sometimes your memory for superfluous things <laughs> isn't quite as good as mine. Right, right. Um, so, like, I think there's a point where Tommy and I are both like, oh, well, Sean's never going to play this game and would, like, <laughs> let a spoiler slip or something. Yeah, and and quite frankly, I'm going to be going into this game essentially blind. Right. Like, yeah. I have an idea of how, you know, Nondary games in general work, kind of right. the structure. You know, I know what Zero is, but not who Zero is. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that I'll be able to go into this game and enjoy it. And then also occasionally go like, oh, that was in Tommy's campaign. That's cool. (laughs) Uh, I think that this is probably the best way that I could experience these games. I'm very excited and looking very much forward to, uh, talking about this with you next episode. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening. If you have not experienced Zero Escape 999 yourself and would like to play either the DS or the PS4 slash PS Vita slash PC version of the game, mm-hmm. feel free to pick it up and play it alongside us and yeah. maybe send in your thoughts about what you liked about it. Uh, if you send them in before we record the next episode, uh, we'll read them on the podcast and sort <laughs> of uh, sort of share share all of our thoughts together. Uh <laughs> I I think that would be really great. If you'd like to do that, you can email feedback at playthispodcast.com or send a tweet to play this podcast. You can also follow us to find out exactly when uh, the next episode will go up. Yes. And you can also send us stuff if you want to talk about our thoughts about Evil Land 2 or really ask us anything you want. We're 
we're open books here at Play This, and we love hearing anything from you guys. It really is a blast. That we do. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. It's dangerous to game alone. Play this! Yeah, how was, how, how was that? How was that first play this ending experience? Felt good. Yeah. Felt real good. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. Game over.